Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Steve Bundy, and, and my wife Melissa and our family have been a part of Cornerstone for several years now, and we have thoroughly enjoyed being um, fellowshipping here at Cornerstone. And uh, one of the things that drew us to Cornerstone is the special needs ministry that Cornerstone has here. Our 14-year-old son was born with multiple disabilities, and um, and so when we look for a church body, we wanted to find a church body that was truly serving out into the community, especially among those affected by disability. And so the special needs ministry was a real draw for us here at Cornerstone. I want to thank you as a church body for that, for that ministry. So that's, we have a 14-year-old. His name is Caleb. And then we have a 10-year-old. His name is Jaron. And uh, he's a, what we call a typical developing child. He's just all, all boy. He's hitting every sport imaginable and uh, loves his video games and all that fun stuff. Um, my wife and I, we just celebrated this last Thursday, 21 years of marriage together. Amen. Praise God. That's right. Gifts are welcome. Amen. Cash, gift cards. Um, just a little bit about, uh, about ourselves. My wife is a nurse and, uh, she, um, uh, uh, Practices in the area in uh, home health care. Uh, I have the privilege of serving at uh, John and Friends International Disability Center uh, located in the Gore Hills. I serve as a vice president there. I oversee our institute, our international outreach and global strategy. And uh, I'm in my seventh year in that particular ministry, and it's been a real joy uh, to, to be a part of that outreach. Well, this morning we are going to uh, jump into the book of Habakkuk. And uh, that's how you say that, right? Habakkuk's in the Old Testament. And so, uh, in my Bible, it's page 1,326. That might help you. I don't know. Um, it's in the Old Testament after the book of Nahum. And so, feel free to look in the table of contents in case you haven't been doing devotions there this week uh, to find the book of Habakkuk. It's there in the Old Testament. And uh, also, we have some Bibles to pass out in case you need one. The Scriptures will also be uh, above us on the board there. Well, some time back... Um, one of the things I do for the ministry is, I said, international, so I do a lot of traveling. And some years back, I was traveling into China. I was on a flight into China. We landed into, into Shanghai. And as we landed, we touched down, and as you expect, we're going to, you know, taxi our way to a terminal. Well, as the plane is rolling, we, uh, instead of going towards the terminal, we took a hard right. And we went off, and we parked next to this large hangar. And uh, everyone on the plane is kind of looking at each other like, this is, this is odd. Uh, what, what, what's going on? And uh, we're sitting there, and no one's really making any announcements. And, and I'm looking off to the right. And after a while, these hangar doors open up. And about eight people in full-blown hazmat suits comes walking out of the hangar with a little briefcase. Almost like slow motion. And you're just, you're watching them come towards the plane. And all of a sudden, have you seen the, the movie Outbreak or Epidemic? You know, all, those, all of a sudden things start flashing through my mind. I'm going, what have we gotten ourselves into? Well, they board the plane and they open up their little, their little briefcase. They pull out this little instrument and they start going up to all the passengers. No one said a word. And they start putting this little instrument up to the foreheads. And now I'm thinking, oh my God, it's the mark of the beast. It's starting. It, it's in China. I didn't, I'd miss that somehow. And so I'm thinking exit strategy, man. How do I, how do I get out of this? 
They're coming up, and before long, I realized, oh, they're checking temperatures. They're checking the temperatures of the foreheads. Now, this was back in the days, you might remember a world news, there was a thing going around out of China called the swine flu virus. And so someone on the plane had been reported to have been felt ill, to be sick. And they were checking the temperatures. Fortunately, no one had a temperature, and we were able to deboard the plane. But I grabbed a stewardess on the way, and I said, you know, that was odd. <laughs> what would have happened if someone had had a temperature? She said, oh, uh, well, if someone had had a temperature, the entire plane would have been quarantined for 7 to 10 days. You would not have been allowed to go anywhere. I thought, praise God, nobody had a fever. But that left an impact to me because I thought about how serious that infection was being treated. As we talk about the book of Habakkuk, one of the things that came to my mind is another kind of infection that tends to overtake us in our humanity. It's a different kind of infection. It's one that's been around since the sin of Adam and Eve. It attacks without warning. It's no respecter of persons, race, creed, or religion. Even Christians are not immune. It's a subtle infection, and it can prove deadly. It's bankrupt marriages. It's severed parent and child relationships. It's destroyed dreams, visions, hopes, and aspirations of millions. This infection comes through many different contact points, loneliness, life circumstances, crisis of finances, health, broken relationships death of a loved one, or death of a dream. Symptoms may not be obvious at first, but over time they appear in the forms of hopelessness, despair, depression, lack of joy, lack of peace and energy, and often a lack of desire to stay connected in personal relationships. If untreated, it can actually become a part of your DNA and can mutate into what feels like a completely untreatable disease. The infection I'm speaking of is discouragement. Discouragement. And that word may surprise you. You may have been expecting something more specifically related to sin. Murder, hate, adultery, something along those lines. But remember what I'm talking about is a very subtle attack. And it seeps away at your joy, at your strength, and your focus. Who's the author of discouragement? Jesus said in John 10.10 that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy you and me. And time and time again, the tool of discouragement comes out of his bag of arsenals and strikes at the heart of those who are vulnerable, those who have been exposed by life's turbulent journey. God knows about discouragement. He warned over and over again those in the Old Testament before they would lead his people about discouragement. We're going to have some scriptures on the board, in fact. Deuteronomy 31, 8. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Joshua 1, I believe it's 1, 9. I apologize. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. First Chronicles twenty eight twenty. David also said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord... God, my God, is with you. At one of Job's friends. But now trouble comes to you and you are discouraged. It strikes you and you are dismayed. See, the enemy knows that discouragement will bring a paralysis. And a paralysis will eventually lead to apathy. 
Often people become apathetic, slow in their resilience, in their walk with the Lord, because discouragement has taken over, it's taken root. It's an area of my life that I have struggled with greatly, and I'm sure some of you have struggled as well. At some point or another, you, I, our families, we face discouragement. We face circumstances that bring discouragement into our lives. My discouragement came in the form of a son born with multiple disabilities. A discouragement that dashed hopes and dreams and joy led me to a world of frustration, disillusionment, even in my relationship with my wife, especially my son and my, and my God. Discouragement came when my dad passed away at a far too young age. It came when we lost our house and the financial collapse. It didn't start from zero. We started from negative to rebuild. Oh, I know discouragement. It's stolen my sleep. It's stolen my joy. and It's stolen my peace on many occasions. I don't know what discourages you. It could be finances. It could be health. Could be some sort of a report from a doctor that has redefined for you in your life what normal is. I don't know. Could be a marriage that held all the promise of bliss, but's been filled instead with disappointment, broken promises, and character flaws that you once thought you would fix. Well, this goes on, just fill in the blank. The enemy will bring discouragement into your life. Well, that's why we're going to look at Habakkuk. Habakkuk was often called the discouraged prophet. And one of my favorite scriptures, probably one that you are familiar with as well, is found at the end of Habakkuk in chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. Let's look at these words. Habakkuk says this, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't have any fig trees. I don't have any sheep or cattle. But I have a bank account. I know how discouraged I am when that thing's running empty and low. No fruit in it. I know how the challenge when a career is disrupted. I know the challenge when health comes our way or a lack of health that brings discouragement. And what Habakkuk is talking about is a, is a situation where things are looking a little bleak. But he's come to a place where he has said this, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God my Savior. You catch these words? Joy, strength, the sovereign Lord. These words have been the encouragement for millions of Christians around the years. I've found encouragement in them. But what we might not know is that Habakkuk penned these words during a very difficult time in his life and the life of Judah. It was a time of great discouragement, a great spiritual depravity throughout the people of God. Such depravity that as we've been seeing over the summer, God was bringing correction, bringing discipline. In fact, he was announcing that the Babylonians would come and bring correction to the people by taking them captive. It's a very difficult time in the life of Habakkuk. Everything he knew, everything he understood, everything he lived for was crumbling all around him. Well, for our benefit, we have the dialogue between Habakkuk and God. 
That's really what this book is about. It's a dialogue between a prophet and his God. And we, we have the privilege of looking at this dialogue. And in this book, there are four critical things, four critical areas of Habakkuk's life that God challenges him that I want us to look at this morning. And let's begin, let's go back to chapter 1 of Habakkuk. Chapter 1 of Habakkuk, where Habakkuk is going to complain to the Lord. In this first area, we're going to see that God addresses the mindset of Habakkuk. He addresses his mindset. He has to refocus Habakkuk's mind from his circumstances to his God. From his own plan to the plan of God. Habakkuk chapter, Habakkuk chapter 1 verses 2 to 4. Let's read this. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Their strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so the justice is perverted. This doesn't sound like the same man we just read in chapter 3, does it? This does not sound like the same fellow. Here's a man who's crying out and complaining to the Lord about the circumstances of Judah and the circumstances he finds himself in. Here's a man saying, God, I don't get this. And not only that, I don't get you. What are you going to do about it? You know, I like Habakkuk. I I can relate to this guy. I I find myself in this story. This is a guy I could hang with. I could do coffee with this guy. I could hang out at Starbucks and swap complaints. You know what I'm saying? He says, Lord, I'm not getting this. He's crying out, what are you going to do about it? Justice has been perverted. God responds to him. Verse 5 and 6a, he says this, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians. And he goes on to talk about the Babylonians bringing correction to Judah. And God's telling Habakkuk, look, I'm in control of the circumstances of Judah. In fact, I'm going to use the Babylonians to bring about discipline. But you, but you, Habakkuk, listen, you've got to refocus your mind. You've got to take your mind off the circumstances and put them on me. Because you're making your circumstances much larger than I am. Have you ever noticed when crisis comes into our lives, we begin to define God by that crisis? You notice that? How big's your God? Well, how big are my problems? He must not be very big because my problems seem a lot bigger than him. And God is saying, Habakkuk, you've got to refocus your mind and look at me because you're walking according to your plans and not my plans. I'm going to do something that will amaze you, but you've got to get your mind off of yourself and start thinking the way that I think. I love Jeremiah 29, verses 11 to 13. It's another, another favorite, favorite verse, or verses that we love as Christians. Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. What I really love about these verses is this. Jeremiah penned these words 
when the people of Judah were in the very captivity that Habakkuk was talking about. It was during the time when they were slaves or captive. It was a desperate time. And God speaks into the midst of it and He says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans of hope, of future, prosperity. Yet they're, surround, they're slaves in an unknown land. But again, God is saying to them, look at my plan. It supersedes your limitations. It supersedes your mindset. Because my plans are greater. I have divine purpose in the midst of these circumstances of life. And you'll find them when you seek me with all your heart. When's the last time we pressed in and we sought God with all our heart? What are you doing in the midst of the circumstance? Instead of launching off a complaint to the Lord. What are you going to do about it, Lord? When Caleb was born, my son, I have to admit, I have to confess, my situation seemed very bleak. And my God seemed very small. Part of that was because of my own faults, my own frailties, and my own theological presuppositions. All I could see was the diagnosis. Muscular dystrophy, developmental disabilities, autism. In place of toy trucks came doctor's appointments. Instead of throwing the football, it was therapies. Instead of discussions on what he would become someday, it was plans for his daily care. I was so focused on my circumstances. And what I didn't know is that God had a bigger plan. I didn't know what God was going to be doing. My son's 14. And his life and his story has impacted thousands for the kingdom of God. Thousands for the kingdom of God. I had no idea these were the plans of God because my mind was so limited to my world. God says, look, be utterly amazed at what I am going to do if you refocus on my plans. And you know what? If my son's, own, if my son's life only impacted one other life, it would be worth it be worth the challenges that he faces. But not only did God refocus Habakkuk's mind, he realigned Habakkuk's vision from one of temporal and earthly short-sightedness to a vision that was eternal and heavenly. Let's look at Habakkuk's second complaint. It's found in the same chapter, verse 13. Now he complains again to the Lord. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? So Habakkuk saying, okay, hold it, time out, wait a minute, Lord. Yes, yes, I wanted you to address the wickedness of your own people, but not like this. Been there? Yeah, Lord, I want, you know, sometimes you have to be careful what we ask for. <laughs> yes, Lord, I wanted you to answer my prayer, but not like this. That's not what I had in mind. What are you going to do about these evil people now? And the Lord responds again. Same, uh, chapter 2 now. Verses 2 to 3 and verse 14. Then the Lord replied, Write down the vision. Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a, that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See, Habakkuk's vision did not line up with God's vision. He was focused on the temporal. 
He wanted God to resolve the situation, put a band-aid on it, a quick fix. And God said, I've got a bigger vision. Habakkuk, do you realize I'm going to fill this earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea? Do you understand my vision so much greater than what you're looking at? Would you realign your vision with my vision? Hmm. God was focused on the eternal plan of salvation. That the Messiah would come through his people. It was so much larger than Habakkuk's little focus on his his concerns for the moment. Hmm. He says, I'll take care of the wicked. I'll take care of that. They'll get their judgment. But you need to run with this vision, Habakkuk. Run with this vision. Proverbs 29 and verse 18. Where there is no revelation, vision. The people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. What's that mean? Where there is no vision, no revelation, people cast off restraint. It means they wake up every day and they go, Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. They cast off restraint. They're living with no purpose. They're living with no direction. There's no vision in their life. There's no sense of the glory of the Lord for their life, for their career, their family. They're casting off restraint. But blessed is a man who keeps the law because he understands the ways of the Lord. Without vision, people cast off restraint. Remember, discouragement brings paralysis, which brings apathy. But vision, it's the antithesis to discouragement. It gets you up in the morning. gives you energy. We live in a day and an age where there's no vision for your life. If you're looking to the world or the television, to the media, forget it. There's no vision of the family. The family's a joke. Dads and husbands are, 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 are you know, they're, 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 they're just looked at as buffoons, you know? There's no vision for you. If you're looking to the world for a vision for your family, you're not going to find it. I remember um, I um, graduated some years ago in graduate school uh, in a uh, business, business degree. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and before wrapping up this degree, we had what's called a leadership challenge weekend. Leadership Challenge Weekend. Woohoo. Um, I've since renamed it uh, the Weekend of Wimps. Weekend of Wimps. So the, here's the idea. We're going to spend this weekend on the mountain of San Jacinto, and we're going to become leaders, learn, learn leadership stuff. Well, I'm from Oklahoma, and uh, we don't have mountains in Oklahoma, okay, just for those who may be geographically impaired. Um, so... So I'm thinking, it's late March, early April, I'm thinking, um, yeah, camping outside, it's pretty warm, I, you know, shouldn't be too bad, it should be pretty comfortable. They said, now bring jackets, bring gloves, bring hats and scarves, because it's going to be cold. And I'm thinking, you guys are nuts, you know, what are you talking about? So I thought, you know, I pulled a little jacket, I don't want to carry all that stuff, I pulled a jacket out of my, uh, my closet, I went into the garage, I found some garden gloves. Garden gloves, I'll be, keep me warm, I'll be fine, be fine. So we end up, we, we haul out to um, Palm Springs. We get to the, to, to the, um, the tram, you know, um, gondola. And we get on it. We go up. We get out at 8,500 feet. And my, my first step out went crunch. <laughs> and I looked around and everywhere was snow. And my first words were, uh-oh. <laughs> and then we hiked another 1,000 feet up. To our base camp. We're now at 9,500 feet. It's cold. It's windy. And my garden gloves are not living up. <laughs> I'm so disappointed in them. 
So it's time to establish camp. I'm thinking, thank goodness, get our tents up, get in there. I'm going to, I am going to snuggle. I'm going to, you know, put my hands in here. I, I, uh. So I go over to get my tent and the leader hands me a pole and a tarp. And I said, thank you very much. This will really be a wonderful additional protection to my tent. Now I'll take my tent. To which he responded, that is your tent. And I said, uh-oh, this is not going to be fun. So we pitched, we slept in the cold. I was freezing. I was miserable. Somehow I'm learning about leadership and all of this. I haven't gotten that yet. But the next day, we're supposed to hike to the very top of, of, of San Jacinto. It's about 10,000 feet. And we're supposed to do this line of leadership, you know, kind of thing. We're supposed to switch off leading the line all together and all this kind of stuff. And I'm miserable. I'm cold. And I'm in the back of the line. And, and the whole time we're walking, you know, we had some ladies there that were, were, were not keeping up. They're falling behind. Some sort of crying. I want to go home. And I, I was back there going, there you go. Yeah, you're going to be okay. It's all right. Let's pray. Come on go and one one gal sprang her ankle so i'm helping her along and we get about halfway up and i have not gotten my chance to lead it's unfair (laughs) and i'm pouting i should be leading i should get my turn and we stop for a little break and i i have my complaint to the lord all right i just i launched my complaint my internal complaint i'm going you know what god this is my life. This, this, this reminds me of my life. You know, everything's going wrong right now. You know, my life just stinks. You know, I, I, here I am. I've got, a, I've, got, I've got these issues and these challenges that nobody understands, nobody knows about. I've got family challenges. I've got challenges with my son. and I've got all this care and all this stuff going on. And, and people don't see it. It's holding me back. You know, I'm just, this is just my life right now. I'm just launching off my pout. This is my life. I'm, I'm in the back serving. I'm not leading and blah, blah, blah. Just as clear as day, I heard the Lord say, that's right. That's right. You're in the back serving. Because the Son of Man did not come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I'm telling you, I had a revelation, friends. My life is, starts with serving my family. My life starts by serving in the background, in the shadows, those I love most, God's, those God has called me to love first. And I went home after that weekend, and I wrote out a vision statement for my life that would be about serving in the kingdom, starting with my family. God took my complaint, and he turned it into a revelation that my first calling was to serve. And I want to give you, real quickly, I want to go over some things that a vision does for our lives. Because, friends, we live in a day and age where we're, we're getting up and we're not living according to vision that God has given us. And I want to challenge you this morning. Do you have a vision for your life, for your family, for your career? A vision that says, the glory of the Lord will take precedent in all that I do. My life will display the glory of the Lord through everything that I do. First of all, a vision always aligns with Scripture. Always aligns with Scripture. You never have a vision that contradicts scripture. If you come to me and you say, God's given me a vision to have five wives. First, I'm going to say, good luck with that. <laughs> then I'm going to say, no, brother, stop right there. You do not have a vision for that because it contradicts God's word. Whenever Paul talks about God's will for your life, he's usually talking about our character. 
first. How God wants us to live. A vision always aligns with Scripture. Second, it sets direction. It sets direction for your life. It carves a path through the muck and the mire that you have to go through in life. Third, it requires action steps. Listen, a vision without action steps is just a dream. Just a dream out there, someday it'll happen. No, it won't. Put some action steps to the vision God's given you for your life. It helps you stay aligned with what's important. It helps you prioritize, in other words. These are the priorities of my life. And it helps us rise above our experienced failures because we will stumble along the way. The third thing that God did was he challenged Habakkuk's faith. Not just his mindset, not just his vision, but his faith. He reignited Habakkuk's faith in his God instead of his own understanding. Let's look at the second response that God gave Habakkuk in verse 4 of chapter 2. He says, see, he's puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by faith. He challenges the faith of Habakkuk. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and it requires humility. See, the puffed up do not see their need of a Savior. Pride does go before a fall. When I was in Bible college, it was one of my favorite times of my life because I knew everything. Right? You ever ever met a Bible student that didn't know everything? It was a wonderful time in my life. I had it all figured out. And when I was doing an internship in in a particular city, I was working with a bunch of youth, about 20 years old, and, uh, I really, really felt like, you know, God's given me a lot of wisdom. People have told me I was mature for my age. Should I really be teaching the adults, I mean the youth, or should I be teaching the adults? I really felt that I needed to show my wisdom of my youth. I need to show my teaching skills to the adults. But I would hang with these youth in the meantime. One day, my opportunity came. A pastor called in sick, and I was yanked out of the youth group. I said, hey, look, I was told there's a a group of adults, a Sunday school class. You need to go teach them. Here's the subject matter. Do the best you can. I thought, finally, my opportunity to shine. Here it is. I'm going to go, and I'm going to impress them. I'm going to give them the Word of God in a dynamic way. And afterwards, praise will be thrust upon me. The accolades will be given. So I went in and I preached with my heart. Well, I mean, I, would, I gave it to him. I let it go. I mean, spit was flying. You know, I felt the anointing. The Holy Spirit was flowing. I was... Mm. Afterwards, I prayed. We we're done. I said, yes. Let the testimonies come forth. <laughs> this man walked up to me and he said, shook my hand. He said, Steve... I wanted to go, oh, stop, no, yes, no, stop, no, no, really. Steve, I want to let you know that that your zipper's down. And I looked down, and not only was my zipper down, but I tucked my shirt and it was sticking out. And I was in shock. I grabbed my Bible. I'm going to thank you folks for letting me teach you here today. I'll be on my way now. Bless you. Friends, God knows how to humble us. Please, please walk in humility. He knows. He has ways of telling you and me, 
you're not all that. You're just not all that. You're not that hot. You're not all that stuff you think you are. In fact, left to ourselves, we make a pretty good mess of things. We make a pretty good mess of things. That's why we're told in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 4 to 6, that we are to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not into our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge Him, and He will make our paths straight. Because trusting in the Lord requires faith requires humility. I don't have it all worked out. I am dependent upon this sovereign God. And God, the Lord was challenging Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith, Habakkuk. You've got to stop walking by sight. You're looking at all these circumstances. They're bleak. They're dire. Things are not good. You're walking by sight. You must walk by faith. James chapter 1, verses 2-4 to reminds us, Where he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. See, faith will come under trials and tribulations and testing to refine it, and to cause it to be mature. Growing up, my dad started a lot of businesses. I was growing up. I've always had a little entrepreneur kind of spirit about me. And, and, and I, I was always his first employee, right? And it made sense because I was available, and I was very cheap labor. It's real simple. You want to eat, you work. Rules are real simple at my house. So... My da- one of the businesses my dad had back in the 80s was these temporary holding tanks in the oil fields. So they, he would make these, these tanks, would take them out to the oil fields. But before we would uh, take them out there, the men, there were these manhole covers that had to go in the tanks. My job was to drill out the holes through about, uh, about an inch of, of, of metal. About an inch thick of metal had to be drilled out. So I'd operate these drill presses. And, and I would take these drill presses, put a drill bit in it, and, and slowly work my way through this metal, this steel, punching my way through. One morning, I went in early. I wanted to surprise my dad. So I went to, over this box of, of drill bits. I, I grabbed a drill bit. I went over to the press, stuck it in, lined everything up, began to put pressure, apply pressure. It began to cut into the metal. And before I knew it, bam, the bit exploded into a million pieces. I jumped back. I thought, what in the world just happened? That was a defective bit. So I went over to the box. I grabbed another drill bit, stuck it in the press, realigned everything. Once again, started putting pressure on it. Bam! It exploded once again. I thought, I better wait. Wait till my dad gets here. So a little while later, my dad showed up. I said, Dad, you're not going to believe this. You have an entire box of defective drill bits. And he said, well, son, where did you get those? I took him over to the, to the box of drill bits. I said, this is where I got them. He said, well, those are the wrong drill bits. I said, no, they're not, Dad. Look, they're the same ones we use all the time. He said, no, 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 son. See, these drill bits have not yet gone through the fire. These drill bits have not yet been tempered through the furnace. See, heat had to be applied for the integrity of of the drill bit, to become to a point where it could handle the pressure it would be put under. Friends, God brings circumstances and trials and tribulations because He loves us. That's why He allows these things to happen. 
to temper our faith. That your faith would be refined, more precious than gold and silver, be refined so you would withstand the pressures of circumstances of life. And not only that, but you will be a witness in the midst of it to bring the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to those around you. That's the beauty of God's plan. That's why he allows us to go through these circumstances and challenges. And he allows even discouragement to come into our lives. That we may stand up under it. Because God is a God who will realign our minds and our vision and our faith to be completely reliant upon Him. Finish its work that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing in your faith. Well, finally, Habakkuk comes to a place of prayer, we find. He's had his complaints. God's responded. God's challenged him. And now we see a prayer by Habakkuk. And it's in chapter 3 and verse 2. And it's the fourth challenge of Habakkuk. Not only his mind, his vision, his faith, but now his desire. God renewed Habakkuk's desire for the presence of God in place of his desire for the presence of comfort. Did you catch that? He replaced his desire for comfort for the presence of God. Habakkuk 3.2, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Lord, renew them in my day. My desire has now changed for your presence in my life and circumstances. We begin to see this change come about in Habakkuk. We begin to see a man who longs no longer for circumstances to be fixed according to his understanding, but now he sees the wisdom and the ways of God in the midst of the circumstances. He begins to see this change in Habakkuk's perspective. It's, a, it's the same thing we see in David in Psalm chapter 51, verses 10 to 12. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. We see this coming out of Habakkuk now. Lord, renew, renew your presence in my day. Because it's the presence of God that makes all the difference that will sustain us through days of discouragement. In conclusion, friends, Habakkuk knew now that he could pin the words related to joy, strength, and the sovereignty of God. He's a different man. He refocused his mind. He realigned his vision. He reignited his faith. And he renewed his desire. The interesting thing about this book is that God in all of this did not change Habakkuk's circumstances. But he changed Habakkuk. There are times, friends, where we will be disillusioned when we don't understand the ways of God. If we think that he's going to always change the circumstances of our lives, there are times he does. He intervenes. He creates miracles. But there are many times where he's changing us in the midst of the circumstances. And there's a time coming, friends, the Bible tells us when there will be no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more discouragement. There will be that day where we will become like him in eternity. But until that day, we live as people of faith, vision, and desire. Finally, we see again, let's read again those words in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. 3, 17 to 19. Let's read those again now with an understanding of the change in Habakkuk. Though the fig tree does not bud, 
And though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. And He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Because Habakkuk now renewed his vision, his faith, and his mindset. And so friends, today the power of discouragement, it may come into our lives through life circumstances. But it doesn't have to rule or reign in our hearts or lives just like it did in Habakkuk. That God will fulfill His will and His purposes, His divine purposes for us and our families. We focus truly on Him instead of ourselves. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, I thank You for every person here today. And I, I pray, God, as, as we come in and as we, we ponder, Lord, what You've done through Your people, through the life of Habakkuk. Lord, as we ponder the change that You bring about, the hope, the encouragement, the inspiration You bring about, when we begin to focus on what You are doing through life and circumstances. You're transforming us over and over again into the image of your Son, that you're filling this earth with the knowledge of your glory. Help us to see that, Lord. Help us to align with that. Help us to walk that out in every way possible. I pray for every person here today, no matter what their circumstances or their situation, may they know they are not alone. They are not alone. They are among those sojourners who are on the same path, the same destination of an eternal reality of life with you. And Father, we have all faced circumstances and discouragement in our lives, no matter what that might be. But Lord, may people today receive your ministry and your word. Leave encourage that you make a difference in the midst of these circumstances. You bring healing and restoration when we focus on you. We make you the God of our circumstances instead of focusing on them. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.